Hello, everyone, and welcome to the PPC Show, brought to you by AdStage. I am Paul Wicker. And I am J.D. Prater. And today is June 7th, 2019, and these are your top headlines in paid marketing. The first story is you at SMX. Did you go to SMX? (laughs) I did. I was there. We sponsored. We had a booth. uh, We had a session. And I came back. I got sick. But I'm here. That's what conferences are for, for learning stuff and getting sick. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I learned learned some really interesting things that people, I mean, Paul, there's a dangerous narrative out there. I'm going to go ahead. I I did a tweet storm yesterday because I was was upset. I'm going to get my banter out of the way. But there's a huge narrative around if it doesn't get scale or doesn't get a huge reach like Google, Facebook, it's not worth your time. And I'm thinking... That is just a bad narrative. That's how we have the, du- the the duopoly. And I was just really disappointed to hear this from several people. Like they weren't even, not like they weren't even interested in Quora. Like they were cutting like their Bing ads because it just wasn't scaling. It wasn't worth my time. And I'm like, what? You're cutting Bing? <laughs> like, Sounds wow. like some lazy marketers out there. Man, it was scary. I'll tell you that. Um, so that was a narrative in terms of like the speakers that were speaking? Uh, just a few people that I talked to. I probably heard it from um, anywhere from like eight to ten different people had said uh, a, a variation of that. Mm-hmm. I was just I was I left scratching my head. Um, interesting. And where was yeah. SMX? It was in Seattle. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. Well, I I guess I'm on board with you. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> no, I'm thinking. Uh, I don't need to distribute my my ad spend around. And then that's that's the thing. They're like, why would I distribute it? You know, I'll take my $10,000 a month I'm spending on Bing and I'll just give some to Facebook and give some to Google and get similar results, but only manage two ad networks. I get it. I, I mean, I, I hear you. You're, you're strapped for time. It's difficult. And you know that this is going to perform. So why even try a new channel? I just I just don't even. I don't, oh, it's just so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is a pretty good argument. I mean, what's the counter argument that uh, I'll make <laughs> one for you? I mean. I would think if you're if you're measuring return and you're looking at Google and Facebook and they're performing well, you're like, oh yeah, dump more money in there. But I'm guessing you're missing a lot of the uh, harder to measure stuff. Uh, like you know, there's audiences that never heard of you. So in terms of like awareness, if you're not in other channels, uh, you know, they're not going to hear of you. And uh, probably there's something to be said for learning too. I mean, by experiencing other networks and running ads and campaigns, like you start to understand new kind of advertising techniques. And I don't know, these arguments are not great. What do you got? You got something better? (laughs) No, I I think, I think that's fair. I think it's also just, I I don't think, I, I think reach is overrated at the same time. And what I mean by that is I don't need to reach 2 million people when I only need 200 customers. And like, let's go find the people that I need. So that, that's a great argument for like LinkedIn. Get laser targeted. Go, go find those CFOs of Fortune 1000 companies that you need. LinkedIn, perfect. Go, go do it. Or hey, I need to like reach people when they're researching and evaluating. Like that would be a great reason for like Cora, for example. Um, you, I want people that are going out and planning their home decor you know, like that would be Pinterest, you know, and I think, I think we're so afraid to move up funnel and we just want to focus on the down funnel and, you know, one data privacy issue away for Facebook 
and an antitrust for Google, and we're going to get into that later, and we're all, all of our targeting is going to be messed up. So I, I think that's why you diversify ultimately is to reach audiences at different stages, but also, like you said, maybe try out some new platforms. And you, know, you never know. You, you might find something that works really well that's low drag, and it's going to get reliable, consistent results without a whole lot of effort. Yeah, it's definitely... So I think there's two types of people, and we've said this before, unrelated to this topic. But in general, the people who want to start broad and just... I'll go to Google, buy a bunch of stuff, have broad match keywords, write a bunch of ads, and just then narrow down over time. And then there's the people who want to start really narrow and say, well, I want to try to figure out the right audience, really try to figure out, you know, a good funnel and then and then grow. So I, I wonder if it's those people who are more in the, hey, I just want volume, just give me Google, spend as much as possible because I want to fill the top of the funnel versus people who are saying, hey, where can I really go find the best quality leads? spend some time there and then move to the next one. So it might just be like the type of problem solver you are. Like I make yeah. everybody happy. See? And short termism. <laughs> that's another part too. You know, this, I need day to day, hour to hour results. I think Facebook has lulled us all into that, but that's another story. Let's move on to our top headlines. Right. <laughs> well, you did mention antitrust. So both uh, Google and Facebook in the news because the I think it's the FTC and the DOJ are the two agencies investigating or not investigating per se, but talking about possible antitrust or regulation affecting uh, Google and Facebook. And I don't know the details. And I, you know, you hope that this is uh, it's meaningful, not just some talking points that they plan on doing something. And nothing happens. But for a lot of folks who feel like Google has become so big that uh, they can put you out of business. And there's a lot of folks who have tried to make that point over the years. Yelp sued them, uh, probably most famously, one of the first ones to say, hey, Google just tried to put us out of business by kind of suppressing our results and then launching their own local product and favoring that. And then numerous others in numerous industries. I mean, if Google starts getting in your industry, it, you get the fog, we used to call it at another job I had, the fear of Google, all the executives. You know, because I was always in the, <laughs> the PPC fog. team or, you know, I was paid search product manager. I'm like, we need to do this with Google and that with Google and this. And then they'd be like, don't give any data to Google. Don't talk to Google. Don't tell them what we're doing. Don't share any. And I'm like, what? And then I, I don't know if we came up with the term, but then I heard, oh, it's because the executives have the fog, the fear of Google. And when I was young, I was like, <laughs> those idiots. And then Google continued to put like tons of companies out of business by hotel results. They're in Google. Flight results. They're in Google. All these Comparison shopping sites, oh, Google Shopping. They pretty much can just knock people out of business one by one. I mean, they're they're large and powerful, and that's what ultimately I think they're kind of being investigated for is around this, are they stifling competition and are they harming customers or consumers? And that's where the proving the second part will be a little bit difficult with harming consumers, um, but we'll see what that gets into. But I will say, this is something from the readings that I did this week. It seems like it's not just a Republican or a Democratic thing. It's I think both parties are in agreement that uh, the tech industry has gone unregulated for far too long, and it seems like they definitely are coming around and figuring this part out. I mean, they're already, uh, U.S. Senator Mark Warner is already drafting a bill that would make companies like Facebook and Google inform users on the value of their data, which is, again, that's going to be a tricky one as well. But um, they're they're coming, uh, I think. I think between Congress, you said DOJ and FTC, there's look like a three-pronged attack. Right. And it's, um, it's funny because, you know, 
growing up in the time and era I did, there's this like concept of regulation and government and it just feels so like onerous and unintended consequences. But then you look at things like child labor laws <laughs> and, you know, seatbelts being uh, mandatory. And it's like, oh, well, those were pretty good for society. So it's hard for my brain to hear regulation and think, oh, that's a good thing because you think like the DMV or something like that. Um, but Certainly, many of the folks who are upset with Facebook's privacy issues, which is a very large and growing base, I feel like this is one of the reasons politicians are, are on board now is because this is a way to kind of take it to them. So, yeah, it looks like this year there will be something. There'll be some at least uh, work done. Whether it happens, we'll see. Yeah. But despite that, Google was like, eh, we'll buy a company for $2 billion. <laughs> Jeez, all cash deal. 2.6 billion, right? I mean, oh my gosh. So Google acquired the data analytics, um, yeah, yeah, data analytics visualization as well, I think, right? Uh, Looker, so L-O-O-K-E-R, uh, based in Santa Cruz, Paul. But I didn't know that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, headquarters is in Santa Cruz. So. Well, thanks to work out with Cora, you know, you're, you got an even shorter commute. <laughs> <laughs> you go work for Google. Um, yeah, Looker is like a lot of the big companies that we have as customers that maybe use us uh, for reporting or for automation or something often have Looker as their kind of BI tool and their ETL pipeline, kind of these big company problems. So Google's saying, hey, this is nothing to do with antitrust. Nobody has to worry about this. This is us getting into like the cloud business more aggressively. We're trying to compete with Amazon and Microsoft and Oracle who are have more popular clouds. And I think I saw one number that even with Looker and Google Cloud combined, it's 1% of the quote unquote cloud market. So Google's really trying to position it like, hey, in this space, we're the small fry. So don't come looking at us for, you know, antitrust. This one, I mean, I'm interested to see what they do with it more than anything else. I mean, I guess maybe it's a way to differentiate yourself from Amazon Web Services is like, hey, check this out. We have also have this amazing like analytics solution when you get Google Cloud. So I don't know, but we'll see. We'll see what ends up happening with this one. And uh, AdSage is, is similar to Looker, but for the mid-market. So if Google wants to pay us $2.6 billion, uh, just give me a call. Just DM me in the tweets, Google, and uh, <laughs> for you, $2.5 billion. <laughs> Um, Make you a deal. Yeah, one billion. I'll, I'll take a hundred million off the top because uh, I like you. Uh, Google. One other story I want to throw in here: uh, ad blocker. We talked about the the deal with Chrome making it more difficult for ad blocking tools like Ghostery to run. We covered this a few months ago. It's back in the news again. This kind of debate continues between the ad blocking companies and the Chrome folks. We're you know, Google saying we're making it uh, this a better experience, we're making it easier for people to protect their privacy. And then the ad blockers are saying, no, you're making it easier to make people feel like they're blocking, but really they're kind of blocking some things. And then other things, especially when it's related to advertising targeting, are going to make it through. And the debate rages on as Google uh, continues to make these changes to the way Chrome works. Yeah, and then uh, the second piece to this one I wanted to like throw out there, uh, like this one was fresh off the the presses was Firefox was also going to be blocking tracking scripts, and that also includes like the Facebook Pixel. This includes Google Analytics. This also includes I'm guessing the Cora Pixel. So I'm interested as well because they're all kind of going after these like trackers, but they're doing it from browser side. So Firefox. Google, what they're doing. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. We've seen what Safari's doing, which is an Apple company. 
So you're, you're basically your top three uh, browsers are all taking a stance on this privacy, quote unquote. Right. So yeah, it's it's funny. You know, we trend. built a product called Join, where you can join data from, say, Facebook ads and Google Analytics or Salesforce, and it relies on parameters in your URL. You know, commonly UTM parameters. So you enter a bunch of parameters in your URL manually, or you have some auto tagging that's running, or dynamic parameters. And they end up in Salesforce or in Google Analytics or in some other conversion tracking tool. And our whole system is built around parameters. And it, when we decided to do it as you know, a product person, I was like, this is kind of old technology. I mean, this is everybody's using cross-device tracking and pixels and data lakes and, you know, uh, what are they called? Um, the oh, CDPs, right? Uh, <laughs> customer <laughs> data platform. Data platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those things are super hot right now. Yeah, so everyone's all about the tracking. And then, meanwhile, in the mid-market, where a lot of our customers are, you know, we don't have money to buy CDPs and ETLs and API maintenance companies and all this crap. But um, so we still use good old-fashioned, you know, UTM tags, which all the big companies do as well. But long story short, it's a little bit of a back to the future now where people, there's going to be a lot of limitations with pixels as more and more of the browsers start limiting how you can track you're going to see a lot more people go back to the old-fashioned days of, like, just stuff it in the link. And if you want to come to my website, you know, that's part of the link. And I don't – I mean, browsers could drop that data, too. I mean, everything after the question mark in your URL is mm-hmm. not used to navigate the user. So in theory, you know, you could the, – the browsers could also block URL parameters. That'd be crazy. Ooh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Man. Yeah, That's a big one. Don't let me tell Congress that. If I tell Congress that, pff, more regulation. <laughs> uh, so that's a lot of Google. Um, let's let's float around social for a little bit. Uh, we have Instagram. Um, so we talked a little bit about uh, creators last episode, not complimentary uh, things we said. But um, <laughs> Instagram is now letting uh, advertisers boost branded content. Uh, well, non-branded content, content from these creators. So basically, your creator, you create organic content, and it's branded, not uh, not overtly. Like, you know, you're wearing some Nikes, and then Nike can be like, oh, I'm going to promote their video in my in, in the news feed where I would normally promote my own ads. So that makes sense. But essentially, it's giving power to brands to find organic content that's doing well and promote it. And they're going to do that in the feed. And in a few weeks, you'll be able to do that if you're a brand, and then in stories kind of in the next few months. I'm just saying, I mean, we had promoted answers back in Q4. So we beat Instagram to market on this one. Just saying. Yeah. Just saying. What up? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you're right. It's the same concept. You find a question that organically is uh, trending or it has a lot of attention, and it's the type of attention you want people to know about your brand. So you can just hop on there and promote it. That's right. You know, go get those Quora influencers and boost that post. Uh, yeah, no, this one, uh, I think this one makes complete sense. I'm sure this one, if this one felt like a lot of advertisers were asking their reps for it. And so the reps finally passed that, all that information on to the product team. And the, so the product team finally just built it. <laughs> that, that's what I think. But you're, you're the product guy. so. <laughs> well, I could tell you when I read it, and I saw the rollout plan of feed now stories later, I was thinking from a product perspective, whenever you roll out a new feature, you know, you're always like excited about the feature, but you have to support it like in all these different ways. So I was just thinking from a product person, like, Oh, how annoying that every time you roll out a new product 
at Facebook, now you're like, oh, well, what's the product going to look like in feed on Instagram versus in stories? And now, now every feature you roll out takes this much more work. And in product, it's very common that before you know it, there's this avalanche of work required. You want to make one small change? Oh, well, that annual appears on Instagram and newsfeed on Facebook and WhatsApp and here and there. So you get stuck as a product person choosing, well, do I want to make this change just here and then have an inconsistent experience or have this work a little differently? Is, is stories different enough that I don't need to put this feature in all the other pieces of the Facebook stack? And I totally read that and my mind started wondering, you know, I wonder how annoyed the product people are about stories these days. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, here, here's my segue. You ready for this? Yeah. Oh, let's do it. Uh, speaking of copying... <laughs> oh, Snapchat, I guess. <laughs> no, this one was Amazon replicating Pinterest. Did oh, you see this? Uh, did um, you see this headline? Uh, I did. Yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, Amazon's gonna replicate Pinterest Lens. So that is the whenever you are in app with Pinterest, you can use Lens, which is their camera. You can take a photo of something, and it will surface like or similar product matches and then from there you can either buy them you can you know pin them you know save them whatever you want well amazon just did the exact same thing and they're calling it style snap yeah i saw this name <laughs> again the product manager product manager me was like oh so you you want people you know associate with snapchat if you have snap in there uh very snapchatty but then i read oh amazon actually already has this feature but it's embedded in Snapchat. So in Snapchat, apparently you could do the same thing. So I don't know who built it first, Snapchat with an Amazon integration or Pinterest. So maybe Pinterest stole it from Snapchat. Snapchat loves having things stolen from them. <laughs> um, <laughs> but essentially in Snapchat, you can do the same thing. You see something you like, uh, you somehow indicate, I like this thing, and then it gets looked up, and then it shows you how to buy it on Amazon. I'll also say I tried this this whole lens thing has been around for a long time. I mean, yeah, Google Lens is trying to do uh, image recognition, and it always was a piece of crap. I, I haven't tried it in a few years because every time I took photos of stuff back in the day with Google Lens, it didn't work. Even when I was, I was just in Japan speaking at Google at a Google event, and they were demoing this tra the Google Translate app where you can take a picture of a menu and look, it'll translate it to English because I was in Japan and everything was in Japanese. And it only worked like 10% of the time. I was like, this image recognition stuff must be hard if Google can't get it right. But apparently it's getting much better, and now you're seeing it kind of all throughout uh, the different social media tools. It's coming, all that image recognition stuff. I think it's pretty cool. I, I, I've actually used it and bought a T-shirt with this one. I was so going to say, have you Pinterest used lens. it. Wow. Yeah, on the Pinterest one. My buddy had a T-shirt, and I had just uh, heard your, your buddy Michael Ackerman over at Pinterest mm -hmm. do a presentation. So I had the Pinterest app. I was wanting to use Lens. I liked his T-shirt, so I took a photo of it and bought it. Well, that he, you know, uh, I apparently collect friends that are like brand ambassadors. <laughs> you know, you, Akora, uh, Michael Ackerman over at Pinterest is always on stage at some conference talking about Pinterest. And this is his favorite gimmick because it's interactive. Everybody likes it. He always does take out your phone and Pinterest and, you know. Snap a photo and, and he gets some ooze and ahs. So, you, you know, Cora needs Cora lens, you know, so you can have a gimmick <laughs> on stage. Cora text lens. Yeah. There we're, you go. We're all text. Anyway. Just point it at someone, take a photo, and it tells you the question that they're thinking in their subconscious. Oh, dang. <laughs> that would be, be pretty good. Uh, and the last thing I wanted to say is we could play Ask the Millennial segment uh, of uh, Play <laughs> Hour or Ask the Millennial game. Um, so I asked Margot. 
hey, do you, have you ever used this to buy stuff on Snapchat? And she said, not only no, she's not even on Snapchat anymore. She's Whoa. fully committed to IG. So uh, so either she's getting too old for uh, Snapchat because I think she's in her mid-20s now. So maybe she's moving on past that demographic. Uh, but wow. yeah, she That's was a bold, bold statement. And apparently like the central California coast crowd is not on Snapchat anymore, but she did use it, the Google version. And she said she's used it twice in the last month and it worked perfectly both times. Mm. Okay. So there you go. Uh, sample size that, of one. That's how I do my and that, research. <laughs> and that completes this week's segment of Ask a Millennial. <laughs> right. Oh, we need some music. We'll just turn it into a really bad radio show. Uh, <laughs> speaking of Snapchat, uh, they also made a small change, despite losing a key user in Margot and her friends. Um, there's a shop button for publishers that puts you in like a storefront. So they're actually powering it with Shopify as the back end. Which, has anyone noticed Shopify is taking over the world? Everything mm-hmm. that's not sold by like a big brand is a Shopify store. They must be just rolling in cash at this point. I think they're doing really well. Yeah. I think they're a Canadian company too? Yeah, maybe. I saw the CEO, and he was very, like, friendly and nice. So it does make sense they're Canadian. <laughs> he was, like, a very kind of charismatic, bubbly, nice guy. He was on maybe the – are they did they IPO? Are they trying to IPO or something? He was on the circuit for some reason doing interviews, and I saw him. And, yeah, they their adoption for SMB, like, is ridiculous. If anyone launches an e-commerce store, it's, like, 99% use Shopify. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Everyone's using it. Yep. So, and now it integrates with Snapchat, so you can have a little store right in Snap. Only five or six, five official accounts have access to it, and it's like the Kardashians and other people I will never follow. But uh, you yep. can buy their, you know, makeup uh, from Snapchat. <laughs> so go, go ahead, JD. You can head over, follow Kim Kardashian, and check out her new makeup line. Uh, I can't wait. Right. <laughs> um, IBM. Of influencers. Oh, you want to do IBM? I was going to say, we could segue right into influencers. Yeah, Let, let's, let's, do, let's follow your segue. Although, no, let's do this one last because this is a heavy. Last. Yeah, that it, one's it heavy. It is heavy. Yeah, okay. Get IBM. prepared, folks. It's very heavy. Uh, every time I say IBM, I think of IBS. <laughs> oh, jeez. I'm sure that's exactly what they want to hear. <laughs> right. What International Business Machines. It is an acronym from like 1910 or something. Um, I'm exaggerating. Anyway. Oh, it's your favorite topic. You should do this. It's your favorite meme. Oh, you know how much I love chatbots, but you know what's better than chatbots? It's when you pair them with Watson. So IBM is rolling out a Watson Ads Builder, which will allow you to uh, basically build a really smart chatbot so you can have a conversational display ads. And that's pretty crazy. Now, to be fair, I, I, I've seen these when they first launched. So um, like Campbell's Soup, it was kind of interesting. You know, you could say... Uh, the, the ad would ask you like, what ingredients do you have? You know, you could say like, I have tomato juice and celery. And they're like, cool, here's a recipe for a Bloody Mary, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, here's a recipe for chicken soup. Cause that's about the accuracy <laughs> I expect from a chatbot. <laughs> Not with Watson. Watson's so smart anyway. So I think that's what, if I, uh, it, they should just put Watson on all the websites. That would be amazing. Like see you later drift, see you later HubSpot. <laughs> We're just now, uh, going to have Watson be our chat bot on our website. That would be really cool. But anyway, yeah, you can build display ads that are conversational. You can help, um, you know, ask the right questions and Watson can kind of figure out where to direct people. And of course, Watson's really smart. So 
And this, this is be really good. Another one I haven't tried in a long time. So I haven't really tried to talk to a chatbot. I mean, we had the, the chatbot bubble maybe a year ago when it was like, you need a chatbot strategy for your messenger ads because that's how everyone's just going to be texting with your brand. And of course, none of that happened. Didn't um, happen. Didn't yeah. Have a lot I of mean, hype. It, it happened, but at a very small scale. So, uh, so yeah, I haven't tried to actually engage with a chatbot, chatbot in a while. Um, at one conference I went to, they might have been another Google event. So I was like, oh, well, this will be good. You know, it's Google. And then I was like, what time's lunch? And it was like, here's a link to the agenda. And I was like, okay, well, that's not that smart then. <laughs> Most interaction I do with the chat bot is pushing the X out button. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree. I, but I, I did watch something that had like an update on all the artificial intelligence, like pseudo-human like robots. So, you know, now they're building all these like creepy robots that look like humans and actually talk. And Jimmy Kimmel, not Jimmy Kimmel, the other one, um, the guy who sings and is funny and he does, everyone gives him crap because he doesn't do tough interviews. That guy, maybe this Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> well, who am I talking about? Come on. Pop culture. I think that's right. Is it I think it's, I think it's Jimmy Kimmel. Well, there's, it, what's the other there's one? Jimmy Fallon. There's Jimmy, Fa- yeah, that's it. Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon. There shouldn't okay. be two Jimmys in talk shows. Come on. And Kimmel is super like, you know, sarcastic and, and biting. And then the, the other one, Jim, Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon. Is, like, he's just kind of goofy. Bubbly and goofy and just giggling. Like half the time the, his guest isn't even telling a joke and he's cracking up over there. Uh, anyway, he had a, he had one of these like robots on singing and they sang uh some duet uh which i can't remember right now it was creepy he was like looking it in the eye and singing to it seriously it i think it was the watson emma and my oh no that's emma watson that's a real person but it was um i think ibm that powered this one i'm not entirely sure but go watch it jimmy kimmel singing with a robot and it is creepy on so many levels but apparently they're getting close enough that we'll be able to have a conversation with them and they'll fool us Ooh, end of end of weird chatbot rant. Uh, so this last story, you tweeted this, and I. So why don't you talk about it first, and then I'll I'll be the doom and gloom. Yeah. So there was an influencer study. So uh, this is an article coming out on Marketing Land, and it comes from a report um, from a Clear influencing marketing platform, and that's K L E A R Clear. And what they found was, on average, women are earning around three hundred and fifty-one dollars per social media post, while men are making four hundred and fifty-nine dollars per post. And yet, 77% of influencers are women. So men are less, and they're earning more. Pretty amazing. And so, you know, the liberal me instantly is like, oh, this, you know, this is what's wrong with America and society and, you know, doing the same job. And so I got on my high horse right away. Um, and then I actually read the article. And I was like, oh, they make some good points on why this is the case that isn't just pure misogyny and sexism. For one... Payscale is one of those companies that Payscale is a company. I don't know if it's a company or a a group. They did a study about pay gap, and originally, and the headline was like twenty eight cents or eighty two cents on the dollar. I forget the number, but it was something that made you think, like, man, that's that's BS, right? You do good work, equal pay. That should be standard. Then they later on in the article say when they did a controlled pay gap survey, so they took into account factors like job title, years of experience, and the industry. It narrowed to two cents. So 
still a gap. You still don't want to get 2% less just because of your gender. Um, but certainly I was like in the middle of my outrage about like, this is ridiculous. And I was like, oh, wait, well, 2%. Now there's a counter argument because I kept read, reading about this because I, you know, I'm a weirdo. So I go down these rabbit holes of like, I must read all sides. And there's other people that say the years of experience are often tied to the fact that a woman gets pregnant and she leaves the workforce often for a year. So by nature, as the only one who can give birth, she has this kind of is prevented from having the same years of experience. So then there's people who say, well, really, yeah, that's there's that to take into consideration, too. So so I had I did a lot of reading. This was a tough one. At first, I was had the outrage. I was in the outrage bandwagon. Then I was like, oh, two cents. I'm less outraged. But I see how it, it still uh, is an issue. Yeah, I think with this one, though, I, I think it still comes down to like being an influencer. I, I don't know if you can take into consideration. I, I like I don't I don't know if people are taking into consideration your age. Well, maybe your age, but not necessarily how long you've been doing it or, you know, how I, I, it, all the other things that you just mentioned. I think what they're really looking at is like, what is your reach? What are you, you know, posting on Instagram kind of stuff? And I think it, it still just shows that women are making less, even though they've taken the lead on this one. I, I think that was my main takeaway from it. And it seems to be it's still it's still prevalent across the entire industry. Um, well, the, but that's it. You know, the seniority and stuff. I, I, I get it with the with the pay scale. That's a fair point. Um, and when I read there was a woman in it specifically who's also brings up the point like, yeah, female influencers, they want you to, you know, wear no clothes and just a lot right. of very like sexually provocative material. And you get like hashtag motivation to sell, you know, like bodybuilding protein powder. And then when it's a guy, it's some guy, you know, who's just like leaning on a car and, you know, hashtag motivation. So she has a lot of great points that like our society like wants to force women to be sex objects and then rewards them for that. And it creates the situation where all the women on Instagram, well, not all, but, you know, they're pressured to do certain types of like uh, of material and content. The other point it made, too, though, was because there's so many female influencers, you can get them cheaper, like supply and demand. There's just a lot to choose from. If you want to do if you're a beauty product and you're like, I want to sell beauty products to women, I can. I have a pick of like thousands of influencers. If you want to sell beauty products to men, there's not a lot of men doing uh, makeup videos, and there's not a lot of men doing things related to skincare or lifestyle. So there's people arguing, saying, "Yeah, I would love to pay them less." There's just not enough. Right. Oh. Mm-hmm. Still, yeah. <laughs> we get into the tough <laughs> issues here. On, remember, this is a marketing podcast, so maybe we should just say like, "Hey, influencers, big." pay gap that stinks that's uh, yeah it, i i don't know if i mean we're not going to solve it i mean we are two white guys um but we can definitely you know help be an ally and help voice some of these concerns and so that's what i'm hoping that you guys take away as you're listening i i do think it is like a topic that would be nice to have a female voice on because i do fear i'm just in the white man bubble oh uh, yeah i am 100 percent. Right. i did uh I did um, a panel Monday night with uh, with the Microsoft advertising called Open Perspectives, and I was on there, and it was about going from empathy to action, and what does that look like? And I was representing the white males on the panel, and it was it was really tough. It was really tough to sit up there and hear a lot of these stories from women, from you know women of color even, and so uh, 
I, <laughs> wow, I just bow out. Yeah, it was tough, but it was it was really encouraging at the same time to hear some of their stories and to share some of their uh, experiences. So, yeah, all we can do is hope to be better, and that's what I'm hoping to do. Well, if you're supposed to change your empathy into action, don't give me the hope stuff. Don't give me the after every mass shooting, <laughs> hopes and prayers. I want the hopes and prayers. Uh, That's right. The hopes and prayers don't really do much. I, I shouldn't say that. There's some people that believe that, but I don't think hopes and hopes and prayers do too much. All right, we're getting way too deep for the podcast. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> Uh, if you want more headlines in marketing with none of the banter or moral and ethical uh, dilemmas being uh, evaluated, you could go to blog.adstage.io and just sign up for an email. It's very light and breezy, just, just the marketing headlines. But if you want more of the hard-hitting uh, marketing headlines and uh, conversations that follow, be sure to head over to SoundCloud and uh, subscribe. Or I don't know. Can you subscribe? Follow. Follow on SoundCloud and you'll get the latest podcast. All right. Follow on SoundCloud, subscribe on iTunes, and leave us a review. Oh, yeah. Re- I, we love reading reviews. It's our new favorite thing. So please, on iTunes, leave a review. Or on SoundCloud, I guess, leave a comment. But no one does that. So iTunes, leave a review. And we'll leave you with that. Have a great week. You're supposed to say. Oh, see you later, guys. No, I, I think we're good. Okay. You can just shut us out. You can close it out. I think you did good. <laughs> You're going to leave us in here, aren't you? I probably am. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> See you. See you later, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>